Welcome here, Pathway family. It is Good Friday, and today we're going to be talking about what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. Now, if you are just checking in with us for the first time at Pathway Online, I just want you to know that we would love, love, love to hear from you. And so if you could make some comments as you're watching and, uh, and connect with people, that would be fantastic. But also this, at Pathway Community Church, our desire is to help those far from God come to know life in Christ. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd really love for you to just experience his presence today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then thank you for joining us. And I hope that this is going to answer some questions that you've been wrestling with in life. So let's just get right into it. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. And I'm going to be reading verses 35 and 36. Luke 23, verses 35 and 36. Now, one of the ways we like to show respect here for God's word at Pathway Community Church is we like to stand for the reading of his word. So when you have it, would you please stand with me? And if you're having trouble finding it, don't worry about it. In the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Luke chapter 23, verses 35 and 36. Here's what it says. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are king of the Jews, then save yourself. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are God and we are not. And that as we are here in your presence, I ask Jesus that we would each experience you in a very new and fresh way today. Lord God, that as we look into what it is you did on the cross for us, I ask Jesus that our eyes are opened, our hearts are opened, our spirits are open to who you are, what you did, and what you desire in this relationship with us. In your holy and precious name I pray, amen. Now, some of you may know this, some of you may not know this, but I am actually, uh, what some would say, half Latin. My family is from Gibraltar and Manchester. Now, Gibraltar is the southern peninsula of Spain, and what a lot of people don't know, especially by looking at me, because I'm a fairly white guy, is that I'm actually 50% Hispanic. And the cool thing that comes along with that is that us as Hispanics are known for being a romantic people. I love romance. I love sending my wife flowers. I like special events. I, I remember all the special dates of our anniversaries. I remember when I asked Janet out on a date. I remember when I asked her to be my girlfriend, October 3rd, 1992, at Saints Roller Rink. I asked her over a PA system. And the reason behind that was pretty simple. I was pretty confident she was going to say yes, but then on top of that, if I did it publicly, there's no way that she was going to say no. So <laughs> I covered my bases on that one. I love romance. And it's interesting to me that, that there's something within the Christian walk that we often romanticize. We make it into something uh, that's a feel-good, when in its day, it wasn't necessarily a feel-good. And what I'm talking about is the cross. We've romanticized it. We love it as something beautiful. And don't get me wrong, it is an amazing representation of this incredible act of love from God. But the symbol of the cross was nothing of the sort in its day. When Jesus met that cross 2,000 years ago, it wasn't romanticized. It wasn't beautiful. It was actually, in fact, the most hideous, obscene instrument of death that one could have imagined, one could have experienced. The Persians, they created the notion of the crucifixion. 
But the Romans perfected it, especially when they're nailing this nail through your feet, which is where all your nerve endings end. Can you imagine that? A nail going through both feet where your nerve endings end. I mean, talk about excruciating pain. And so the Romans perfected this painful method of death. And one could say that it was man's attempt at a torturous hell on earth. I mean, this was a death for criminals. This was not a death for the people that Rome appreciated. No person in their right mind would have connected the cross with the church or anything good. As a matter of fact, just the mention of the cross would have sent chills down the most hardened criminal in that day. But along the way in this story that we're reading through as we're looking at Jesus' Passion Week, on that spring day in Jerusalem, there wasn't just one cross. It wasn't just Jesus hanging there. There were three crosses. As you read in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, there were three crosses. There were three people hanging there. There was Jesus, and then there was a thief on either side of him. And they were crucified along with him. And so I want to spend some time this morning just focusing on the three crosses. So the first cross will be the cross that you could say is the cross of dying in sin. The thief that was in dying in sin was an incredibly perilous position himself, and yet in the middle of that, he still joined in with the mockers and the, those who were jeering at Jesus. And they were abusing Jesus verbally. He spoke to Christ in, in this loud harsh tone. He says, if you are the Messiah, then show us. Save yourself and us. I mean, just think about that. Think about what I just told you about the crucifixion and how it is the most painful death that the Romans were able to come up with. And in in the midst of that, this excruciating pain when your hands are nailed to this cross and you're pulling on yourself in order to pull your weight off of your feet so you can get some reprieve there. It's anguish and then you're releasing to get the pressure off your hands and your pressure of your entire body weight is on this nail on your feet and and this is what's taking place physically and you can imagine what's happening in a person's emotions and their mental faculties and yet through this in the middle of this he finds time to mock Jesus he finds time to look at Jesus and say these words if you are the Messiah then show us save yourself and us. Now, if you take a step back, it's actually not an unreasonable request, is it? I mean, after all, nobody would trust a lifeguard who couldn't swim, so why would you trust a savior that couldn't save? Kind of makes sense, because the resurrection hadn't happened yet. And so the full realization of who Jesus was it just wasn't there. Would you trust a savior who couldn't save himself. Now, many actually maintain that similar sort of attitude today in terms of uh, this self-reliance, in terms of not really taking seriously the message of Jesus. You might say something to the effect of, well, nobody tells me what to do. I make my own choices. I call my own shots. I determine my own direction. And I actually believe that every single one of us falls into this way of thinking at some point or another. And the philosophy that we have, usually at that point, is if it feels good, do it. Our God at that point, well, it's our body, it's our money, it's our position, our power. Um, 
It's our pleasure. That's our God at that point. And, and this way of life is actually also described in the scriptures by Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgression, transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Think about that. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And that's, that's kind of the, the delineation between a believer and a non-believer. See, a, a non-believer is a person who literally they are dead in their, in their sins and missing the mark of what God would have for them. This is the way they live and they follow the ways of the world and they follow the ways of the kingdom, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And, and that, that's, a, that's a language that describes the evil one. It's a language that describes the devil. It describes Satan. He's the accuser, the adversary. He's the one who is our chief enemy in life. He just, his desire is just to wreck us and destroy us. And so he deceives us into thinking that pleasure and position and power and all these things that we chase are good, are the things that are ultimate. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, the things that we have in this world, they're, they're amoral. They, they don't have any particular moral standing. But when lesser things become ultimate things, they become distractions, when pleasure specifically becomes our main motivation in life, it leads us down roads that are well, just hurtful to the lot of the people around us. We use language like, well, I deserve to, well, and then you fill in the blank. And we often give ourselves license to do things that otherwise, if we were to take a step back from it, we would never give ourselves license to do. And Paul then, he says in the context of this, that we were dead in our transgressions, talking about the believers, that this is the way we used to be, but we're not this way anymore because of the work of Jesus in our lives. And in that context, in the idea of the person who is following the ruler, of the prince, he's the prince of the power of the air, the kingdom of the air, that we sometimes think that we're just good enough in our own right and that we don't need help from Jesus. You know, I've often heard people say things like, um, you know, I'm a good person, and I think God's going to take that into account uh, when I go to heaven. Man, I wish that were true. The reality is, is that our evaluation of whether or not we're a good person, well, it's kind of substandard. The ultimate standard of what good is, is Jesus. And Jesus was perfect. So if Jesus is perfect, and Jesus is good, and I know that I'm not perfect, then I can't be good enough. You know, it doesn't become about my efforts anymore. It becomes about something different. It has to, because I can't achieve it. So we trust in our works. We trust in the sincerity of our beliefs and our ideologies. But they do come up short. And so to all who think that way, can I encourage you with this? Because this isn't a chastisement. This isn't me coming down on you. There's, there's no sin hammer that I'm trying to come at people with. But Jesus speaks very, very boldly about this. He says, to all who live and think this way, in John chapter 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, listen, if you do not believe that I am he. 
talking about the Messiah, the Savior. You will indeed die in your sins. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And so what he's saying here is like, listen, what you have in your head in terms of being good enough or achieving or any of these other kinds of things, whether or not you're moral, that has nothing to do with any of this. It has everything to do with whether or not Jesus is in fact the Savior. You see, it actually becomes less about us and more about him. And so he's saying, look, the only way there is me. The only option you have is me. Now, the thief on the cross, his heart was hardened to this. And you could say that, that anybody who would say no to Jesus, their hearts are somewhat hardened to, to the truth that he offers. You know, we have these ideas about Jesus in the world today, that he's this great teacher, or this great man, a man of love, a man of peace, and all these different kinds of things. But, and, and, and it's not that those things aren't true. It's just we got to remember the true things that he also said. You got to believe in him. You would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. See, and that's it. So it's not about our achievement. It's not about our merit. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's actually all about what Jesus brings to the table and our receiving him, our belief in him. The thief on the cross, his heart was hardened. His heart wasn't softened by the certainty of his impending death. Nothing was going to change his mind. He, he was set. And so you could say that the thief on the cross that is identified as the one who was the mocker of Jesus, he died in sin. See, that's one of the crosses. We can choose that cross to die in sin. The good news of the gospel is that there is another cross, and that's the cross where you, you have the other thief, and, and it's the idea of dying to sin. In Luke chapter 23, verses 40 to 41, here's what it says. But the other criminal rebuked him, talking about the other thief. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. He's this other thief was looking at his, I guess you could say colleague, he could say the other person who was in exactly the same predicament he was, the one deserving of the crucifixion that they were experiencing. He looks at him and he's essentially shutting him up and he's saying, look, have you no fear of God? Is, is God not even weighing on your mind at any point right now? You're getting the same as Jesus. This, you're getting the same as him, and we deserve it, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. I mean, this thief was saying, look, I believe in this man, Jesus. And after seeing how Christ was abused, and the, this thief was compelled to believe that Jesus was everything that he claimed to be. I mean, you got to remember that just a, less than a week earlier, People were heralding Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem as their great king. They were heralding him as the Messiah. Man, what it must have been like in that day. And so you have this crazy movement of 
heralding him as king and Messiah to now suddenly he's dying a criminal's death on the cross. This particular thief says, look, I believe in that guy, Jesus. He didn't deserve this. We did, but not him. It's this indication also that he believes in all that Jesus claimed to be. Belief accepts Jesus at face value. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean a blind faith. It doesn't mean that we don't look into things. It doesn't mean that we don't check out whether or not there was, in fact, an actual historical record of Jesus of Nazareth. And I got to tell you, there absolutely is historical record outside of the Scripture. So we know Jesus existed. That's not the issue. The issue, then, is what did he say? And in looking at what he said, we got to take Jesus at face value. The thief did not understand everything about Jesus in the Bible. I mean, it's not like the thief understood all of the prophecies. It's not like the thief necessarily heard every single teaching that came out of Jesus' mouth. But he believed in Jesus. He understood who he was and who Jesus was and who he was as he stood before him or hung before him. He came to Jesus just as he was. And I love that picture. Look, a lot of us carry a lot of guilt. I know even in my own life, there are a ton of things I've done that I'm not proud of. And to confess this to you, I'm probably going to have other things that I'll do in life that I'm just not proud of. I already know that. But I also know that Jesus is there with these welcoming arms to receive me to receive all that I ever did, to actually clean that up. Because look, I can't get rid of the things I did. I can't change my position as it relates to them. I can't tell you that I'm not guilty of these things. Man, I can do all that I can to try and make up for them. But the reality is that those things still happen. And the consequences of those things don't go away. But Jesus, this guy's all about forgiveness. All about forgiveness. And so he comes along and he says, look, I get it. Like, you've got all this stuff. Man, the stuff in your past, maybe even stuff in your present. And, and we, we come to him in a way, like we, we, it's like we have this conversation. You know, Jesus, I'll, I'll come to you, but let me fix this stuff first. Let me clean up my act. Let me make certain things right. And, and Jesus is standing there. And he's like, what are you talking about? I got this. You're not the one who makes this right. I am. Man, I can just imagine this thief on the cross who believes in Jesus and reaches out to him. And he already confessed what he did. He knew he deserved the death that he was getting. And he looks at Jesus. And I love it because he comes to him in humility. And he says, man, Jesus, would you, would you remember me? The Bible tells us that we need to believe in order to be saved. I believe this thief on the cross, the one that was rebuking the other thief, I think this guy really believed. Now, we've got to understand that his belief, it wasn't necessarily just this head belief. It was a heart belief. Remember, he didn't have all the details about Jesus, but he knew who Jesus was in his heart. And you knew that by the question he asked. The Bible says that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they tremble. And so again, it's not about this intellectual knowledge. It's heart. It's relationship. 
Paul says that we must believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and, and that really means that we got to believe in everything that Jesus said about himself. You know, like who, who he was. We've got to believe that he's the Son of God, that he lived this perfect life, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And, and then in addition to that, we've got to believe that God raised him from the dead, that he arose on the third day. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of days on Sunday. Check this out, man. We're going to be talking about the resurrected Jesus. And I just want you to know that there, there's so much amazing stuff that he has in store for you. And so God raised him from the dead on that third day. This thief on the cross, yeah, he, he understood this idea of what he deserved and what Jesus was able to offer. And what Jesus is essentially offering this thief on the cross, the thief who admits, he says, I'm getting exactly what I deserve. But Jesus, you, Jesus, you don't deserve this. He understood that he needed to die to sin, that, that sin was no longer going to be an issue in his life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 say it this way. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, not could be, will be. And then it goes on. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What a beautiful image. Luke chapter 23, verse 42 to 43. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. I mean, you catch that? He just finished chastising this other thief, and he turns to Jesus and says, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? He understood. And you've got to understand this. It's not like he was looking at this from a physical perspective. Jesus is hanging on the same cross. He knows Jesus is dying, which tells you he also knew that the kingdom that Jesus was talking about was not the same kingdom that you and I often talk about. I mean, we talk physical. Even the Jews in the day, they were anticipating the Messiah to come and, and establish this physical kingdom. And Jesus was establishing something much greater. And I love his response. You know, the, the thief says to him, and it's like us, remember, we're talking about this idea of we can't clean ourselves up. This thief, he was, there's nothing he could have done to make himself right. He was dying on a cross. He couldn't go visit anyone that he had, you know, sinned against or, or had any offense against. The only thing he could do is rest in Jesus, in humility coming to him. And he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And I love Jesus' response. It's not like Jesus said to him, okay, but here's what I need you to do. You need to do this, 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 and this, and check all these different boxes. And Jesus' response, I was just simple. I mean, it wasn't complicated. He, he didn't say that you have to check all these different boxes like we said earlier. Jesus' response was, don't worry, I will. Today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, Jesus brought comfort where there was discomfort. You had this thief hanging on the cross in anguish. You had Jesus hanging on the cross in anguish. And in the midst of the anguish, in the midst of the pain, now hear this, in the midst of the pain, Jesus brought comfort. I mean, just think about your own life. Is there pain that you just need him to come in and bring some comfort into? See, this is what he does. Today you will be with me in paradise. And as we talk about this thief some more, this thief was having what you would, we would call a public profession of his faith. He, 
The thief was willing to profess his faith in Christ in front of all of Christ's enemies, the people that were there that were yelling insults and they were looking forward to Jesus' death. Even this other thief who was mocking. You have the thief who was dying to sin, willingly in front of the enemies, professing a faith in Christ. And I just want to tell you that our profession in Christ is not really all that different. Jesus holds the answer to everything we're after. This thief on the cross, he was a guy that needed comfort. He was a guy that needed security. He needed hope because he was in a hopeless place. There was nothing he could do. He needed a savior. And Jesus steps in to be that savior. The thief on the cross recognized Jesus for who he was. He sought salvation. He sought paradise from Jesus, and he found it. You know that Jesus is the only one that can make you new and have you die to sin. Where sin no longer demands your allegiance, where it no longer controls you and you are actually free from it. That's the whole message of the gospel is that we are free from sin to enter into right relationship with the Father and we never need to worry about these things again. He says that as far as the east is from the west, so I separate your transgressions from you. You ever try to measure that? I mean, like how far is the east from the west? I mean, God's love for us is so immense that his desire was to just Wash it away. Make it right. Make it clean. There's a third cross. And that third cross is the cross that Jesus hung on. You see, we had the one thief who was mocking Jesus, and he was the thief that was hanging on the cross that was dying in sin. He had the thief that was receiving Jesus, asking Jesus for this comfort, for this hope, for this security, this paradise. And Jesus' answer to him was, yes, you will be with me in paradise. That was the cross that symbolizes us dying to sin. But that third cross, that's Jesus, and he's dying for sin. If ever there was a person that didn't deserve that punishment, it is very safe to say that it was Jesus. And Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He, he never sinned in his life. Jesus didn't even commit any kinds of crimes. There was nothing, literally nothing, within the Roman Empire that would have caused this to be a just act. He did nothing wrong. And yet here he was, hanging between these two criminals. Now, before we get too involved in this and, and start to think that, man, that was just terrible. Jesus got a raw deal and all that kind of stuff. I want you to understand that Jesus was not a victim of circumstance. Uh, he's not the helpless martyr caught up in a plan that's gone awry. This was part of his plan. Everything led to this moment. Actually, all the way back into the book of Genesis chapter 3, we have this prophecy where this leads to this moment. And, you know, the idea that, that the serpent is going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush the serpent's head. This is a prophecy for what we are now seeing. And so this is part of the plan. It always was. And you can have some proof for you. If you look at John chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, he says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life and I, that I may take it up again. So lay down my life. Talking about the death. Take it up again. Talking about the resurrection. 
And it goes on and it says, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. You catch that? Nobody's doing this to him. He's done it. He's the one in authority here. Others might think that they're scheming well. They got this plan to go. And the reality is, is that they're just following through on the plan that's already been planned. And he says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. So Jesus was absolutely in control of what was going on here. Luke chapter 23 verse 46 says this. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having all said, said all of this, he breathed his last breath. He was absolutely in charge of what was going on. And in breathing that last breath, you also hear him in, in other gospels say, it is finished. That penalty's paid. It's over. Nothing more needs to be done. You don't have to try and make yourself right. You come to Jesus and he makes you right. You might ask, well, so what, Rob? I mean, what has this actually got to do with me? What has this got to do with who I am? I'm a good person. I've got all these great things going on in life. What has this got to do with me? Well, let me tell you what the scripture says about who we are. Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him and the him that he's talking about there is Jesus. Now I just want to park here for a moment. I don't know how much you know about sheep. I didn't know a ton about sheep growing up. I grew up in the city. We don't see sheep in the city. And so I watched some YouTube videos to check out what was going on with sheep. And did you know that, that they're stubborn? Did you know that sheep, when they get this thing going on in their heads, they just want to go off in one direction, that they'll just do that? They'll walk away from the herd and go off in their own direction, do their own thing? And the shepherd then has to go after them and chase them down. And very often, sheep, when they go off astray, they fall down into a pit or just off of a cliff. And, and so the shepherd has to reach down and pull them to safety. And he says, oh, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that's us. We do this. We create our own plans. We have our own ideas of what we should and should not be doing. And, and, and we think that, that it's all good. And the trouble is, is that there is a greater plan. There's a better way to live. And in that better way of living, we have a God who walks with us and shows us things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that all those inequities that he talked about in Isaiah, we see that being talked about here. It's been talked about as sin. That's the idea of missing the mark of what God would have for you. And so all of this stuff got put on Jesus who knew no sin so that we could be made right. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Wow. He just traded everything for us. He traded everything for us. He went to the cross. He went to death for us. 
1 Peter 2.24 says this, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. I mean, God allowed Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf, in our stead. You think about that for a moment? Who would you die for? I mean, you're not going to die for an acquaintance. You're certainly not going to die for people you don't know. We, as a people, are wired for love and relationship. And so the people that we would actually die for, go to the cross for, are going to be people that we love and are in relationship with. And when we got here, we got God himself saying, I got you. I'm going to do this because you can't. And I don't want to be without you. I want relationship. I want you to come home. Romans 3.26 says, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so what we have here is this freedom to choose to walk away from a life of sin, walk away from all the garbage and the mess that we find ourselves getting into, all of the gone astray like sheep kind of stuff that we lean into. And so Jesus died for sin to give us a choice. And the choice is limited to this. There's actually only two options. Will you choose to die in sin or will you choose to die to sin? And only you can decide that. And your decision determines your destiny. You see, destiny is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. But carefully hear Jesus again on this matter. John chapter 8, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. You catch that? It's not that all roads lead to heaven. They don't. It's one. And Jesus is saying here, boldly, he says, listen, you got to believe that I'm the guy. I'm the one. I did this for you so that you can come back to the Father. You can't do this. I got this. Nobody else can do this. Nobody. Just me. And if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's what he says. I just am thankful that Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 7 are still true. Here's what it says. But God being rich in mercy. Now that's a part of God that we don't often hear about, right? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, dead in our separation from him, dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You catch that? This is all about God's movement towards us. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his kindness. All of it. And there's nothing in there that talks about our ability to make anything right. 
And the reason? It's just we can't. We need the mercy. We need the grace. We need the kindness of this incredibly loving God who chose to go through horror to rescue us. So here we are. We're standing here. We have this cross behind me. And we got a decision to make. And you can decide to die in sin or you can decide to die to sin, but you can't have it both ways. It's just not both ways. And you might be saying, well, Rob, there's a great cost to dying to sin. I've got all these different things going on in life right now. I'm enjoying my life. Can I offer this to you? I understand that life can be good right now. I get that. I understand that right now, you may not even be able to see that the things that you're chasing, you're pursuing, whether it's position, power, prestige, profit, whatever it is, they might look good right now. But I promise you, if you talk to anyone who's been at it a long time, they'll tell you the same thing. You're chasing a carrot. It's never enough. And you're constantly pursuing, constantly chasing. Guys, that's not life. That's effort, that's performance trap. You know what is life? Jesus actually says that that I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest in John 10.10. And life to the fullest is life in Jesus. And so what we get to do with Jesus is we get a reorientation of what our life's purposes are. We get a, a new identity. This whole language of scripture is that who we were is no longer who we are. Because who we are is now made new in him. You get new purpose. We get amazing privileges to serve people and raise people up and help them walk away from the stuff of life that just anchors in a negative way. It just anchors their souls and their history. My encouragement, my prayer for you is that you would choose life. That you would choose life to the fullest, which is life in Christ. We've been purchased. We've been purchased for a new life. And he went with no holds barred for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that your love and your mercy and your grace and your kindness are so huge that that you would come from heaven to earth and live a life without sin and no criminal activity whatsoever and that you are willing to allow yourself to die on a cross for us that you would pay the price that we couldn't pay, that you would be able to make things right for us in a way that we just never could. Because you are perfect and we are not. You are God and we are not. So I thank you for your great love for us. And I pray, Jesus, that on this day uh, or whatever time it is that people are checking out this particular message, Jesus, that you would express yourself in a way to them that is undeniable that Jesus you would meet with people in a way today right now and let them know that you are exactly who you say you are 
And that for all those, Lord, who are stuck in the burden of the pursuit of performance, Lord, those who are stuck in trying to figure out what life's purposes are, those who are stuck in the history of the mess of life that maybe they feel they have made, Jesus said you would bring freedom to them. That they would choose to be a people that would die to sin rather than die in sin. And I pray this, Lord, for everyone. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.